Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts. Leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up? Everybody. Ricky Widmer here along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanee Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And we are back for another edition of the Primetime Podcast right here on Mosevale Podcast where we talk about college football, college basketball. And today, Brandon, what are we doing? Big board. Doing our big board. NFL 2.0. If you want to check out the first big board, go ahead. Check it out on our channel. We have it there. However, this is our updated big board. Before we get into that, before I explain everything, a little bit of housekeeping. First off, if you like what we're doing here, want to help us succeed, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash Mosevale Podcast link down below in the description. Number two, if you want an MVP t-shirt, we're selling those as well. All that info down below in the description as well. If you're on iTunes, have an iTunes account, you're listening on iTunes right now, make sure to go give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And last but not least, go and check out mosevalepodcast.com. Bookmark it, and that's where you're going to get everything for MVP. So housekeeping over, try to get that out of the way quickly because we're jumping into our big board. And how we do it, if you're new here, we split it up into three segments. On YouTube, it's three videos, Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, podcast services around the world. It's going to be one long audio form. We start with 25, go 25 through 16, then we go 15 through 6, and then we finish the third segment with our top five. So, Brandon, before we get into the discussion for 16 through 25, take us through your your bottom 25, and I forget, do we... 25 to 16. We're going to start from 25 and go up? Okay, start with 25, go on up. So uh, at 25, uh, slipping in and sliding into mm-hmm. the, my 25 spot, Lamar Jackson, quarterback from Louisville. At number 24, we've got Christian Wilkins, uh, defensive lineman from Clemson. 23, Harold Landry, um, uh, outside linebacker, defensive end, uh, Boston College. 22, Mason Rudolph, quarterback, Oklahoma State. 21, Connor Williams, uh, offensive lineman, Texas. At 20, Joshua Jackson, cornerback from Iowa. 19, Clellan Farrell, defensive end, Clemson. 18, Mike McGlinchey, offensive tackle from Notre Dame. 17, Darius Geis, running back, LSU. And at 16, Orlando Brown, Jr., offensive tackle from Oklahoma. Well, and mine jumping right into it, number 25, I'm going with an offensive tackle as well. I got Connor Williams, the offensive tackle from the Longhorns. Go Texas. Then at number 24, staying in the state of Texas, but going over to the Aggies, I got Christian Kirk, the wide receiver. Then at number 23, friend of the show from the Michigan Wolverines, defensive lineman Mo Hurst. Then at 22, making his first appearance on a big board, Mike Hughes, the cornerback out of the national champion, Central Florida Knights, right, Brandon? National champion Knights? Is that what we're calling them? That's what they are, right? The national champions? 
You, you get it. You get it. But the, going on, number 21, Marcus Davenport, defensive end out of University of Texas, San Antonio. Number 20, the cornerback from Iowa, Josh Jackson. 19, Mike McGlinchney, the offensive tackle out of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Number 18, Deron bringing the pain, defensive tackle from Alabama. Number 17, Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Oklahoma. And rounding out my bottom 16, Harold Landry, the pass rusher, I'll say, from Boston College. So the first guy I want to look at, we kind of now spotlight some of the guys within this range. I want to look at the guy that you had just slipping into yours. We've talked about him numerous times. Should so-and-so trade up for him? How high will he go? We looked at him compared to Mason Rudolph because they're kind of the quarterbacks below the Allen, Darnold, Rosen, and Mayfield um, quarterbacks in this draft. What made you put Lamar Jackson in your top 25? Because I find it interesting, number one, I had him in at 24. You didn't have him in. This time around, I don't have him in my top 25. You have him at 25. So I want to start off with uh, something that uh, a general manager um, who scouted Lamar Jackson this season had said. Uh, quote, the Cardinals depend on him too much. He's trying to do it all. I think he has a learning curve. He will need the right system and the right coach, but he's super talented. Jackson suffers with accuracy issues, end quote. So what I see from that is that the Cardinals, the Louisville Cardinals, depended on him to do everything, mm-hmm. which they did. They depended on him to pass the ball, to run the ball. I'm surprised they didn't depend on him to also catch the ball as well. Booby Miles style? <laughs> Exactly. But that means that Lamar Jackson is going to make any single team better. Because if he's able to do all that when they're putting all the pressure on him, depending on him to do everything, he could Mm -hmm. make any team better. And when he has the skills, when he has the arm, the strong arm that allows him to make just about any throw, and especially off-balance throws— He's tough in the pocket. He knows his scheme. He can learn quickly. Amazing athleticism that we know he has. Great runner. And many, many are looking at him as being undervalued to where Deshaun Watson was undervalued in this past draft and was skipped over and picks were traded because they didn't want to end up going with him. And then he fell to the Houston Texans where they took him, and unfortunately, he got injured middle of the season, but he was turning out to be something special, something really, really special. And Lamar Jackson, yes, may he need the, might he need the, the right system? Might mm-hmm. he need the right coach? Might there be a little bit more of a learning curve with him than there would be with, let's say, a, a, a Josh Allen, a Josh Rose, and a Sam Darnold? Maybe. But I could still see him being late first rounder, and I continue to say this, New England. A team like, like New England. Someone team, in the comments section like that. also said that on our Mason Rudolph Lamar Jackson one, or it might have been our um, what would be like where could he go in the draft. Somebody recently this week, I'm sorry I can't remember your name, agreed with you on that point that New England could be a good landing spot for Jackson. It would make sense. 
It certainly would, especially with Tom Brady wanting to probably play for a couple more years, whether mm-hmm. or not he wins the Super Bowl. That's uh, what's which will have already happened when this when this goes out. But I think Lamar Jackson really is a good fit for that first round. I'm not saying he's going to go top. I'm not saying that he's going to be in the middle, but he could crack the first round because there's teams out there. That need quarterbacks. There's teams out there towards the end of the first round mm-hmm. who would need a who would need a quarterback who would want a quarterback to come in, you know, learn for a year or two, and then be able to work with them. I, I I just there's too much talent, and and when I've said it, when I've when we've talked about him, when we've talked about Rudolph, when we've put him out there in in, in conversations with everyone else, I've always said that he's uber talented. I've said that I've liked other quarterbacks because I think they're more NFL ready right now. But Lamar Jackson can certainly get to the point where he's an NFL-ready quarterback. Again, it's okay it takes a little bit longer of a learning curve. That's fine. It's okay that you might have to find the right scheme for him. That's fine. There's You do that because he is so talented. I mean, he just is super athletic, and I, I think that you get him those right schemes, right coaches, he will be successful in the NFL. Well, and the thing with Lamar Jackson, reason why I don't have him in mind on my side is I agree with you that I could see him being a late first-round guy. My thought process is, because how I view this big board is, on my end, regardless of who's picking where, if I'm just going best 25 players off the board, in my mind, these would be the top 25 best players off the board, and you know, needs play into that to where he can be above 25 in a mock draft. However, if we just look at for R2, 25 through 32, because you have him at 25, I would have him in my top 30. I just don't have him in my top 25. Tennessee, don't need a quarterback. Atlanta, doesn't need a quarterback. However, the next two, New Orleans could draft one to sit behind Drew Brees for a year or two. Pittsburgh could draft one because every year we're asking, is Big Ben going to retire? And it's getting to the point. I mean, it's getting to that point with him, too. Minnesota could also draft a quarterback because they don't know what they're going to do with theirs. However, Zimdog does like Teddy Bridge Trouble over, or Bridge Over Troubled Waters, if I can get that one correct. And then New England, and well, New England could draft him because Tom Brady's not going to play forever, but Philadelphia wouldn't need him because they've got Carson Wentz. So that's. Within the bottom 25 through 32, that's what? One, two, four teams out of those teams that could, that's a total of eight teams. Half of those teams could take him because they could need a quarterback. And well, and especially when most likely, most mm-hmm. likely, Josh Allen will be gone, Sam Darnold will be gone, Josh Rosen will be gone. And then it's coming down to Baker Mayfield, Mason Rudolph. Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. Luke Falk. I mean, Lamar Jackson, he's right at the top of that list of those guys. Yeah. I mean, he he is. I mean, he's he's one of the top guys there. I mean, I, I really like Baker Mayfield. Lamar Jackson's extremely talented. Uh, Mason Rudolph, I like him. I, Luke Luke Falk. But I, I still think if you're going to look at those guys, if you're going to to say, okay, you know, we want to we want to take someone who has the most athleticism. It's probably mm-hmm. going to be Lamar Jackson, even though some of those other guys may be more NFL ready. Mm-hmm. If you're going to take the most athletic guy, you're most likely going to take Lamar Jackson, and that that is that is true. I I I don't think that there's too many people who would disagree with that with what he can do overall. 
but uh, you you never you never know you never know. And I know we're talking about the twenty five uh, best players. We mm-hmm. think. But you never know what happens in these drafts. No, you never one, do. One pick or non-pick could change the entire mm-hmm. way that the rest of the teams think. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's why they've got their boards of all these well, different players at all these different positions the, where they could go. The example I'll use is a guy who's going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, Randy Moss. 18, 17 other teams passed on him until the Vikings took him. 17 other teams and he's going to be a Hall of Fame wide receiver. Just blows your mind at some of that. But I want to move on. You talked about raw athleticism and speed. I want to move on to the next guy we're going to talk about, and that's the guy that I have at 24 just cracking my big board in Christian Kirk, the wide receiver out of Texas A&M. And the reason why I wanted to touch on this kid is because you look at his film, you look at his stats, he's good. 80 catches this year. Over a thousand yards, twelve point six yards uh, per average. Seven touchdowns this year for the Aggies. The thing that impresses me most is he has the nickname. He's had it since his freshman year, apparently. Of people call him Baby Beckham, which is a huge name to live up to because you're being compared to Odell Beckham Jr. But I have a question about Christian Kirk because. I know when you look at his film and you look at scouting reports, they talk about his raw speed and his explosiveness. And like the one I'm looking here um, from WalterFootball.com, they mention like how he's elusive and how he could be a great weapon after the catch. Like, give me the ball, I'll catch it, then I'm going to do my damage once the ball's in my hand. And they say here at the end of, in the NFL... Kirk could have number one wideout potential despite not being a big player. He could be similar to Beckham, Steve Smith, or Brandon Cooks as smaller receivers who are lead receivers just from their great speed and explosive playmaking. So the thing I wanted to ask you for your opinion, because it's a thought that I had, of do we mm, – this is a guy that could be low first round but will probably be second and on – should we look at the raw speed and explosive and go, good, he's good? Or is there something to say where it's like, you know what? He's only 5'11". He's not the tallest wide receiver. Maybe he won't be our number one. But, hey, I could draft him to be a number two. Well, you know, here's the thing is that there there is the trend, the growing trend. Mm-hmm. And I've said it multiple times on on this podcast is that quarterbacks are loving they're 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", guys. But 5'11", guys can get it done. Mm-hmm. You have that You have that speed. You have that burst. You can get down the field. You can be that go-to big threat, big play guy. Quarterbacks like that, too. So it doesn't always, you don't always have to be the big receiver in terms of height. Um, one of the things that is looking like it might be hurting Christian Kirk is the fact that Kelly Mond did not play well for Texas A&M and mm-hmm. wasn't able to get him the ball as much this year because he he had 71 catches, 919 yards, 10 touchdowns in 2017. So that's good, but not as good as it possibly could have, which is why more people are looking at him as a two, maybe third rounder, mm-hmm. second or third rounder. Uh, however, some people have said he could be a late round one uh, for a team that wants to go and get him. Uh, but 
I, I think that there's there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good with with a with a receiver like Christian Kirk. However, if you're of the mindset that you want a big, big, tall wide receiver, you're not gonna go in his direction. You're not gonna go for that. And and if that's if that's why, I mean that's that could be the reason alone why a team may not take him because they already have a 5'10 well, guy. They already have a 5'11 guy. They're looking for a 6'6", 6'5 receiver. And here's the thing I want to point out, and this is not nothing to knock Kirk. This is just where my question comes in, where you have, like, they mentioned Steve Smith, and it's like, okay, Steve Smith, 5'9 guy, so he'd be shorter. And he, he was quick, and he was a deep ball threat for both the Panthers and then the Ravens. When he went there, but other receivers, like you compare him to Odell Beckham, and I kind of hate that comparison already, only because of the fact to where Odell is transcendent almost at the wide receiver position, where it's like he was on sports science when he was a rookie, I believe. And the thing that blew my mind was because of his jumping ability and how high he can jump and how far he could jump. He might be 5'11", but they said that his radius with either jumping to the side or straight up, I think it was it was either a one- or two-car garage. I think it was a one-car garage. That's the kind of width that he could cover within his radius, his catch radius, which to me blew my mind. Because think about standing in the middle of your garage and being like, yeah, you can throw a ball within anywhere in this area – and I can catch it. Well, it's, I mean that's incredible. And mm-hmm. if you can do those types of things, I mean, if you're if you are a talented wide receiver, you should be looked at. Mm-hmm. And he, again, it, you don't have to be that six five guy. And I just wanted yeah. to go over a couple of the wide receivers that aren't that height that are still good in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Greg Jennings, not you know when he was you know in his prime mm-hmm. with the Green Bay Packers, that's that was good. Yeah, Wes Welker. Manuel mm-hmm. Sanders, Golden Tate, Randall Cobb, Julian Edelman. You know, some of these guys aren't your big, tall, wide receivers. Here's the thing, but, though. But they're, st- but they're still effective. They They've are. been great on their teams. Golden Tate, he's the speedster in, mm-hmm. in Detroit. He's still Matt Stafford's go-to guy. People could say, no, it's Marvin Jones. No, it's Golden Tate. He's right across the middle type of guy, mm-hmm. and that's a big play threat. Wes, Wes Welker, when he was with the New England Patriots, I mean, outstanding. He was a huge go-to guy for Tom Brady. Was he a tall wide receiver? No, he was and not. And that's why the I was going to hit a simpler, th- also similar thing, but a different aspect of it, where I looked up the top five guys in receiving yards this year. In order from top to bottom, Michael Thomas was number one. He's 6'3". Then you've got Stefan Diggs, Minnesota Miracle, six foot. Then you've got Danny Amendola, 5'11. You've got Julio Jones with his 6'3. And then Ted Ginn Jr., which is 5'11. Now, Ted Ginn, I'm going to put the asterisk for most of his career, especially in Carolina. Thanks for blowing some fantasy games for me. Had a little bit of the drop skis. Didn't know how to uh, catch the ball, per se. But the thing that I look at just with those two guys, and some of the guys that you mentioned, too, mainly. The Patriot wide receivers can be thrown into Danny Amendola a bit. Is think back to Rams Dan- Danny Amendola, not the same Danny Danny Amendola, 
that we see with the Patriots, or efficiently, I should say, because he did have um, 130 or 132 targets and over 600 yards in his second season. But part of me feels like those wide receivers benefit from their quarterback. And I know you're saying, well, Ricky, duh, any wide receiver is going to benefit from their quarterback. But you got guys like Amendola, Edelman, even Welker for when he was with the Patriots. You're working with Tom Brady. You're working with the GOAT. He's going to get you the ball. He's going to know what to get you. Odell Beckham gets to work with Eli Manning, who's a top quarterback. You've got Ted Ginn Jr., where I would say this year, you're like, oh, this year he's a top five in yards. One, he's working with Drew Brees, which is a phenomenal quarterback. Number two, he's got Michael Thomas on the other side of the field. So how many times is he going up against that top corner? Unless it's a team where it's like Josh Norman, you're going to stay on this side of the field. You're not going to follow Michael Thomas. So that's the only question that I'd look into with Christian Kirk is it's nothing against what he could do at the next level. It's just with me, I feel like for him to be successful – it's got to be the right system that's going to get him the ball in open spaces to allow him to make plays after the catch. But also it goes into a fact of who's going to be your quarterback. Like if he goes to Cleveland, I don't think he has that much success than if he goes to like a New Orleans late in the first, or if he goes to a Pittsburgh or a New England or a Philadelphia or even a Minnesota in the later first rather than a team in the early second. You know what I mean? Well, I do. I know exactly what you mean. But how my my basically my my comment would be of course. Mm-hmm. That's what it would be. Of course you're going to benefit and be better if you have a better quarterback. But then you also have to look at the guys like look at a DeAndre Hopkins. He he's a taller wide receiver. He has had a quarterback carousel mm-hmm. for so long until Watson comes in, but then he gets hurt back to the carousel. And he has been so consistently freaking good. Mm-hmm. It's because he's a great wide receiver. I think the Odell Beckham juniors, if he could just, you know, put aside some of his temper tantrums mm-hmm. that he has on the sidelines, he could, he could be good for any quarterback, you know, as much as there's quarterbacks who come in and make receivers good. There's receivers who make quarterbacks better. There's receivers who will go up and get the ball, whether they're tall, whether they're a 5'11 and they can just get up and go get it. They can make a quarterback better. So it really goes both ways. It's not necessarily one or the other. It's not, well, they had a good quarterback, so that's why they're better. They may just be talented themselves. But, Brandon, I want to move into the next one. we got two guys we're going to finish up talking about here in our First kind of part of the podcast. This is a guy you had pretty, I'm going to say pretty high on your big board is I didn't have him in. And really for me, I would almost put a different running back at the tail end before this guy. You had Darius Geis at number 17. What went into your thought process and what do you like so much about Geis that put him at 17? Well, the reason I like Darius Geis is, I mean, I still look back to a couple of years ago when Leonard Fournette was still there. Mm-hmm. And Leonard Fournette, had it was the season, I can't remember the year, but it was the season that Leonard Fournette was kind of banged up for you know, maybe the second half of the season last or year. something like last that. Last year was kind of banged up. Was it last was it, year? I thought or was it was it the year, the year before. before. I, you know, I honestly, I, I can't remember which one. But ever, whatever year that was, you guys will know mm-hmm. better. But Geis came in, 
And it was like Leonard Fournette never left. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that that was still Leonard Fournette. Then he was, that was two years he ago. Was, he was still getting those 200 games. He was mm-hmm. getting two touchdowns. He was running over everybody. And that was the first look at Darius Geis. We're like, yeah. well, dang, this guy's going to be good. I mean, mm-hmm. d- bye, Leonard. See you later. That was a good time. <laughs> Darius, come on. Come on. Join the party. Mm-hmm. So it was It was like, wow, this guy's really, really good. And then Geis had his own kind of injury issue. So that if he just stays away from the injury bug mm-hmm. but we kind of thought the same thing with Leonard Fournette and he did for the most part this year he only he played in 13 games so think if he played every single game he did tweak his what his ankle 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 and then he missed a game because mm-hmm. um he was suspended for it basically well yeah he was reading that's bullshit on Tom Coughlin he was late to a practice cuz he was reading books to his uh his son's class his son's kindergarten class like, come on tom really Really, but I guess rules are rules, so he was suspended. <laughs> but uh, I, I I like Darius Geis. He averaged five point three yards a carry in twenty seventeen. He had over twelve hundred rushing yards, eleven touchdowns. Missed a game in week five, and he still had all of that. The the guy is just he's a good athlete. He's a tough runner. He's got speed. He's got quickness. He's got good instincts. He he knows. Uh, how to anticipate what's going to happen, how to anticipate so we can cut, uh, so we can spin, do all that kind of stuff. He's just got really good running ability, and he's one of those guys where what are we seeing a lot in the NFL is it's it's that running back by committee. Mm-hmm. Darius Geis looks like the type of running back where he doesn't need a dang committee. He can be a three-down back. Like Leonard Fournette had Absolutely. been Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I I could definitely see Darius Geis because I've already seen, at least in college, there were so many similarities to mm-hmm. me of Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette. Very similar. I don't want to say they're the same running back because no one is the exact same, but they look so similar. Their, their games, their styles, they very much mimic each other. And that's why I think Darius Geis will be good in the NFL because Leonard Fournette has had a lot of success in the system he's in, especially it helps when your head coach has said, ah, can, mm-hmm. we, can we just run it every down? <laughs> then again, it doesn't do well for your quarterback when yeah. he's like, what, I can't pass? Um, but Darius Geis, that's why I believe he's so similar to Leonard Fournette. The success Fournette has had in the NFL, I think Geis can have as well. Here's my one, I'm not going to say problem because it's not really a problem, but the one issue that I see in the running back position when I think of Darius Geis, and when I look at the running backs this year, Saquon Barkley's up here. The next best back is down here. Like, that's what I see. Like, I don't see any running back, realistically. Like, big board-wise, yes, you can put a second running back. I almost put Sony Michelle in my big board at 24-25. I almost kicked Connor uh, Williams out to put uh, Sony Michelle in, but I didn't. However, you can put someone in the big board. I don't see any running back besides Barkley right now being drafted in the first round. However, after Barkley's off the board, I think what comes into it is, yes, Geis is good, but you have Sony Michelle, you've got Rashad Penny, who I believe was in your—is he still in your big board? You took him out to put Geis in. I, I don't, That's I, right. I would say I don't think he ever was. He he wasn't in in the 1.0, yeah. and he wasn't in 2.0. No, I was, I'm, I'm I talking. Was, I'm pulling the screen back. We're on 2.0. You originally put yeah. Perry or Penny there, and then you swapped him out for Geis. That's what I'm thinking. But you have Penny. You have Michelle. You also have um, Jones from 
Uh, Ronald Jones II from USC. You have uh, on Johnson. on Johnson. Throw in Nick Chubb if you want. What I think it comes down to after Barkley is, yeah, these guys are all good. What round do I want to take a running back and which one of these guys will be there? That's the only, that's why I say issue in quotes for Darius Geis because it's not an issue with him or anything that he brings to the table. It's just a, let's say someone has him at second round on their big board. Yeah, but I'd rather go with this position here and we can grab a Penny later. We can grab a Jones later. We can grab a Johnson later. That kind of a thing. Well, absolutely. And I, I think it, it's going to come down to the team that's going to be drafting. Mm-hmm. How critical do they f- feel it is to get a running back? And 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 or can they wait? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of kind of one of those things. No other running back this year is anything similar to Saquon Barkley. Not in my mind. No. Saquon Barkley is he's just the cream of the crop. He's just a he's a freak athlete mm-hmm. that can do a lot of different things and just he can he he would make any single team better in any way. Um but then you look at the rest of them. I again I like I like Geis because I feel like he out of out of a lot of the other ones that you mentioned, he for me he just screams, I am a three-down back, and I can be a three-down back in the NFL. And, you know, just thinking of teams right now, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing it out there. You know, the Detroit Lions, what, what could put them over the top? Mm-hmm. A running game. Yeah. They've got a great a quarterback. A more consistent one than what they have. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I mean, you know from firsthand you had their running backs in your fantasy league. Well, I had one of them. Didn't you have Theo? Was no. Theo the one you had? No, I had. Um, who even cares? Um, <laughs> I, I I had one of the other ones, but um, it, it's it's one. It's like a team like that where you've got a good quarterback, you've got a good wide receiver uh, core. You have a pretty good defense, a defense that's certainly improved. Abdullah, that's Amir who Abdullah. Had. That's who I had. They don't have. They have the 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 backfield for the Lions mm-hmm. is the definition. Of a running back by committee, Abdullah, Riddick, Zenner, and Washington. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and and then Green. They had a Green yeah. guy that got in there too. So I mean, my gosh, they are they are the definition <laughs> of a running back by committee. Mm-hmm. So if a, if if it's a Detroit Lions, and again, what what else do you need, and what's the most important for you? Could you go and get a Darius Geis in in round one? You know, it's just kind of it's, it's kind of something like that. You know, a tough runner, a guy with speed, guy can. Hopefully, bring some consistency, and then that's just an example mm-hmm. to throw out there. But he's the type of guy, again, out of all those other guys that I really feel like has the best potential to be that three-down back in the NFL. Well, and I mean, the Lions could fit right where you're talking about because let's say we use the position you have them at 17, Lions are at 20, so they're right in that area around. I'll say in the area within three. Of that pick, but yeah, it's not nothing against Darius guys. I just question the running back if it's there's one guy who's like way up here, and then everyone's so bunched together, and it's all dependent on which guy you like better. Because like even you and I, if we rank just the running backs one the first two, you would have Barkley guys 
I'd have Barkley Sony, yeah. and that's what I would go with because I like what Sony can bring, and he can be that touchdown threat. Not saying that guys can't. Well, to be honest, my final my final thoughts before mm-hmm. we move on to the, to the next guy would be, I think any team who's not in the top five mm-hmm. or probably even in the top three mm-hmm. realizes they're not getting a, a, the Saqu- they're not getting yeah. Saquon Barkley. They're not getting the same style of mm-hmm. runner as Saquon Barkley. So they're already planning on who's who's the best running back now. After who's, Saquon's I, off, if I'm them, I'm just I'm I'm looking at who's the best running back because Saquon Barkley's gone. Mm-hmm. So not even having him on the board because he's not gonna he's not falling out of the top three. If Cleveland is smart, he's going one. But um, I I just I think that I I really think guys could fit um, well in in a team like I said like the Lions and he would be the guy. Who's their Who's their three down running back? Here's what I want to. This is the last guy I want to talk about. Is and I'm kind of going to throw in one of mine also to piggyback off of this, only because we're going to compare him a little bit. But most of it's going to be Josh Jackson, cornerback out of Iowa. Mm-hmm. And the question I want to ask you, both you and I had him in this range. Do you think he will consider? Because on mine, he's the third top cornerback. Because I had Denzel Ward in my top twenty five. We'll get to him later. And you have him right behind Minka Fitzpatrick. I'll ask you, do you think what he brings to the table, 6-1, natural cover corner with great cover skills, and is a complete ball hawk, led the league, led the nation with eight interceptions this past season, do you think he's going to be a guy to consistently stay at that 2-3 cornerback spot? Or could we see a guy like on my big board he creeped in, a Michael Hughes from Central Florida, who I joked to kind of jab at you a little bit with the national championship thing, or could we see a guy like Hughes jump him with Hughes being more of a shutdown man-to-man guy who had gone up, not elite talent, but he has gone up against Cortland Sutton, who could be a first-day draft pick, and Anthony Miller, who is projected to be a day-two prospect in the draft. Joshua Jackson is the number one cornerback in this draft. He's going to be. You think he'll jump Minka Fitzpatrick? Or Minka you thinking, Fitzpatrick is not a cornerback. Well, with Minka, they he's call a him a defensive back, so he's kind of one and the other. So you're saying straight Cornerback corner. is completely different than okay. D-back. Then go ahead. So he's going to be the best cornerback Joshua Jackson is the best. Is going to be the best cornerback by far in this draft. Size, speed, athleticism. You said what he did this past year. Eight mm-hmm. interceptions, 18 pass breakups, 48 tackles. You said it. He's a ball hawk. He's just got an insane athleticism about him, and someone who needs help in the secondary, which is a lot of teams, he would be an absolute great addition to their secondary at the cornerback position. The best thing I like about him, and this is the best thing that I've seen when kind of diving into the film from the games that we saw this year, I saw in one of the reports, it's like he's he sees the ball like a wide receiver does, but he plays cornerback. And I looked at that and I was like, holy shit, he does. Like, he, he he's a cornerback, thinks about it as a wide receiver, and it kind of takes out the whole, like, I know this is like a joke from, like, the Devin Hester days even. It's like, oh, well, why is why was Devin Hester switched to cornerback? Oh, because cornerbacks are wide receivers who can't catch. No. Josh Jackson's a wide receiver who's like, hey, I have cover skills and I like hitting people, so I'm going to go play cornerback. Like, that's the kind of 
mindset he brings with not exactly that mindset, but that mindset of like, hey, I'm going to look at it through the eyes of a wide receiver because it kind of relates to me kind of like a when you go out with someone who's like really into hunting and they're like, you got to think like the like the thing you're trying to hunt. That's what Josh Jackson does. It's like, you know what? I am I'm trying to get this wide receiver to either drop the ball, get the ball intercepted. So I'm going to start thinking like they do. Because if I think like they do, I'm going to have an edge on them. And that has, I, I think, led to why he's a guy that's led the nation in interceptions this year. Ricky, Josh Jackson had a three-interception game mm-hmm. in 2017. Yep. Who was it against? It was against Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah. Ohio State. The Ohio the State. Ohio State. And he has three interceptions against them in that game the where JT Iowa Barrett. blew them out. JT Barrett, Ohio State. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's one thing to have three interceptions against, you know, a, a team that's well, or I'll, Rutgers. I'll do it. Or I'll Rutgers. It. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw it under the ball. I don't even think we won a conference game this year. It's <laughs> it's. I don't want to say it's easy, but it doesn't look. It's not as impressive. It's like that's cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. But if it's against an Illinois, if it's against a Rutgers, it's like, okay, you know, that's not as surprising. But against an Ohio State, people go, wow, that's not only awesome, that's mm-hmm. impressive. And because Urban you Meyer look, led Ohio yes, State because you look at the coach who uh, of Ohio State, you look that it's Urban Meyer, mm-hmm. you look that it's JT Barrett, you look that it's Ohio State, this top-ranked team every single year, and... You have three interceptions in one game against him. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. No, and I mean that's and also I looked into it. You can't make a joke about Rutgers because they went four and eight overall, three and six, where Illinois was two and ten, zero oh and nine in conference. So I think we are now the Rutgers joke. So yeah, we're we're not that good. No, we're not that good. But looking at Josh Jackson, that like three interception game. Eight interceptions, and that's one. The last thing I'll ask you is the eight interceptions. I know that draft wise, you're not just looking at the stats; you're looking at what they can bring. But are you looking at that and going, you know what? What I'm seeing on tape, this kid should even have more interceptions than those eight that he already had that led the nation. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the coaching staff actually wanted him to turn more of those those uh, batted balls mm-hmm. and those tips into, into, interse- interceptions. In, into interceptions, which he probably could have done. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he could have more and that he has that potential, I, I, I think that where he's at already, plus the potential that he could bring, it, it makes him, again, in my mind, the top cornerback in this draft. Well, and this is where you guys come in for the first 16 through 25. Let us know what you guys think down below of our 16 through 25 and who you would have in this range of the big board. But Brandon, let's move on into six through 15 and let's start at number 15. Who you got run us through your six through 15 starting at number one, five. At number 15, I've got Deron Payne, defensive tackle from Alabama. See, I don't think you said that right. It's Deron bringing the pain. Oh. Deron, because he brings the pain. Get it? He brings the pain. He brings the pain. And now now I've got it. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. And number 14, front of the show, Mo Hurst, defensive lineman from Michigan. Number 13, Roquan Smith, linebacker from Georgia. 
Number 12, your guy, Calvin Ridley, wide receiver, Alabama. Number 11, James Washington, wide receiver, Oklahoma State. At number 10, Quentin Nelson, um, offensive guard, uh, Notre Dame. Number 9, Arden Key, defensive end, LSU. At 8, Baker Mayfield, quarterback, Oklahoma. At 7, Derwin James, safety, FSU. And at 6, Sam Darnold, quarterback, USC. We're gonna we're gonna get into that in a second. Let, let me run through mine really quick. At number fifteen, going with Rashawn Evans, inside linebacker from Alabama. Then right above him at fourteen, his uh, roll tide mate Calvin Ridley, wide receiver from that same Alabama team. Number thirteen, Orlando Brown, offensive tackle, Oklahoma Sooners. Number twelve, Derwin James, the safety from FSU. 11, Denzel Ward, the cornerback from the Ohio State University. Number 10, defensive tackle out of Washington, Vita Vea. Number 9, the offensive guard from Notre Dame, Quentin Nelson. Number 8, the outside linebacker from VT, Tremaine Edmonds. Number 7, quarterback from Wyoming, Josh Allen. And in number 6, the linebacker from Georgia, Roquan Smith. So, first guy I want to ask you about. And it's because I didn't expect him to be outside the top five. But why you got Sam Darnold at number six? Take me through that thought process. Well, it'll make more sense when we go through my five Mm -hmm. through one. But the reason why I've got Sam Darnold outside of the top five is because I did did something that I did not think I was going to do. Mm -hmm. And I... I don't think I even had him in my 1.0, but Josh Allen. I added mm-hmm. Josh Allen to this list, and I wasn't, I was not, and most people will probably remember, I was not the highest on Josh Allen. You'll remember I was no, not you the highest weren't. on him. But he had an excellent, he had an excellent um, senior bowl. And working with all those guys and everything like that, and I know you're saying, Brandon, you're not telling me why Sam Darnold's outside of it. By the way, you did not have Allen. I had Allen at mm-hmm. 9 in the I 1.0. Didn't. No, I didn't. So Josh Allen, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. is in the top five for me. Well, now. duh. Um, so Sam Darnold has, has dropped out. Just, just one outside the top five. But Sam Darnold, for as good as he is, and let's take a look at... What he did this past season, Mm -hmm. he did some good things, completed 63% of his passes, over 4,000 yards, 26 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, but he was up and down. Mm -hmm. He was up and down, and he even admitted that confidence was an issue with him in 2017. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't... Be confident every. I'm not saying you have to be confident every single time. And oh my gosh, what's wrong with you? Blah blah blah. You know, still still a young kid, still a young quarterback. But he's got to have some improvement in some different areas, a little bit more so than I think the other two quarterbacks that I have above him. Mm-hmm. Improving decision making. That's got to be number one because of the interceptions that he threw at the times that he threw them in the bulk that he threw them in some of the games. His eye movement and certainly his confidence. The thing that has him outside the top five for me the most is his confidence and where that is moving to an NFL team. Now, the reason I say that, let's say things go just wacky and he goes number one. 
mm-hmm. to, we know, the Cleveland Browns. Unless they trade the pick. Is that is that going to be good on a guy who's maybe not where he'd like to be confidence-wise to go to Cleveland in no. terms of confidence? That's not good. Especially when there's no guarantee that you'd win a lot of games in Cleveland your first year. And, you, we, I mean, we saw what happened with Deshaun Kaiser. Is he in? And, is he out? Is he in? Is he out? Oh, he's not going to start. Now he is going to start. And, and and I mean, look look at what we just by that, just mm-hmm. by that alone. But then look at and I know it's it's Kaiser himself and Darnold's a different guy. But mm-hmm. the amount of interceptions that Kaiser threw. I mean, he led the league. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's going to be Sam Darnold, but that's not you, you want somebody and you want Darnold to be able to go to a spot where he's mm-hmm. going to fit, where he's going to feel like he's got some confidence, where the confidence is going to be built, where they're going to be able to help him, where he's going to grow, where maybe the things that he needs to still work on. It's like talking with you talking about Lamar Jackson in the first segment. You know, he's got so much athleticism, so mm-hmm. much talent. It may just need to come out a little bit more yeah. and take a little longer to come along. I'm not saying that, the right coach too. Exactly, and I'm not saying that Sam Darnold is going to take a long time to come along, mm-hmm. but maybe he's going to take a, just a little bit more time than a couple of the other ones to get where he'd like to be. And I still think he's very good. Uh, there was a scout that said that he seemed he, he felt like there were too many people that were hyping Darnold as this overly elite quarterback, where he said that when he looked on film. Mm-hmm. He didn't see Darnold as being any better or leaps and bounds better than a Mitchell Trubisky or a Deshaun Watson mm-hmm. from 2016. And that to me, Trubisky, I think, is going to be very good. Watson has Would already have been rookie of the year if he didn't get injured. In my and, mind. Yeah, Watson, hell, Watson could have been MVP if he didn't get, if he didn't get injured. And I know that maybe is a little bit of a bold statement, but mm-hmm. with what he was putting up, if he kept that oh, he anywhere close well. to what he was doing, mm-hmm. he would have been MVP. Mm-hmm. So that's why I have Darnold where I have him. I still think six is a strong spot for him well, right now in Big Board 2.0. And the thing I'm gonna, I'm actually going to, because I had him at seven, I'm going to bring Josh Allen into this discussion because we're kind of comparing the two anyways. And when I was looking at, because right now I don't want to give away everything I'm going to say in those videos, but compiling everything for the draft breakdown videos that we're going to be starting soon here at MVP, out of the quarterback, some of the things I was looking at with Sam Darnold, I was seeing, like, you know what? He is accurate. He does have some good pocket presence. He's a mobile guy. He's got the instincts. I love what I saw on film. The big thing that I... It's true, but I don't want to use it as like a crutch or I feel like everyone uses it to where it's like, yeah, but he had it down here. Oh, but he lost how many weapons? Like how many people went to the NFL? Part of me is like, okay, yeah, he lost a lot on the offensive line. And in order to be a quarterback, you need to be protected. So, I mean, some of the sacks I'm not putting against him because his offensive line was garbage. But part of me also goes, that's college. Like, that's college. People leave. You got to make sure the coach puts the right people to be in the position to step up, and he just didn't have those players stepping up. The things that are the huge weakness, the biggest weakness for me, you said confidence. I'm going mechanics. and With Darnold? Or with, with Darnold. Okay. With Darnold. And the reason why is there was a part in the film where they compared it to Russell Wilson 
where his arm was down. It's like, oh, look, he's doing what Russell Wilson does. But as I kept watching and watching, I'm seeing this. This is the motion I'm seeing. And I'm sitting there going, Tim Tebow had that motion. Like, we ragged on Tim Tebow for how long it took him to get the ball out because instead of just coming up and throwing, he was doing a complete circle with his motion. And Sam Darnold has that. Now, I'm not saying that you can't teach to get that out of there or Sam Darnold can't fix that, but he needs the right coach. He needs the right system to help him with his mechanics because, to me, that's the big thing that will hold him back at the next level. When I looked at Josh Allen, though, besides his accuracy and his decision-making, because the thing I liked better with Darnold that I didn't like with Allen is Darnold could look cornerbacks off better than Allen could. One guy that we talked about in the first segment ended the segment with, Josh Jackson. There was a time, Allen, hike, look, look, throw at that one receiver. Guess who was there to intercept it? Josh Jackson. Josh Jackson is almost like an NFL corner. NFL corners will do the same thing if not taking it back to the house. That's the thing that I felt with Allen. However, Allen's strengths is he's got the size, he's got the arm strength, and he's a good athlete. Doesn't have the same mobility that Darnold has, but he's a good athlete. So to me, between the two, even Rosen in there too, it all depends on which one you like the best. If you're a guy that's like, you know what, I love what Darnold's ceiling will be because I've always said Rosen has the higher floor, Darnold has the higher ceiling, Josh Allen could be the wild card, where he could be third right now, could end up being the best quarterback of the three. He's got potential as well to come out. It's whatever you want. Which one can I work with? Which one can I mold into my guy? And if your confidence issues, you mentioned, if you're a coach that says, I don't want to deal with that, then don't take Darnold. Take a Rosen, take an Allen. But if you feel like, hey, I can give him that confidence, kind of like how Andy Reid gave Kareem Hunt confidence when he was starting as a rookie and after he fumbled on his first NFL carry, even though he never fumbled in college. That's something that you can think of, too, is which one fits me? And that's going to be the most important with either all three of these quarterbacks if I brought Rosen into it really quickly. Exactly. I, I think that it's it's all your preference. It's mm-hmm. all your preference. I'm, I, I mean, I think truly, if you looked at every single one of these quarterbacks, mm-hmm. not one of them comes without something. Are any of these guys Andrew Luck? No. And that's the thing you got to think about. None of them are the Elways, the Lux, where it's like, I'm drafting you. You are perfect, almost perfect day one. There, There's hardly ever going to be a time. Mm-hmm. And and you guys, are our fans, our viewers, you guys know this. There's hardly ever going to be a time where you're going to get a quarterback that's completely flawless, that mm-hmm. has utmost confidence, that has spot-on accuracy, that has a great arm, that has mobility and, and movement outside of the pocket. Mm-hmm. I mean, that does not come along often. Yeah. Where they have every single one of those things where you checkmarked all the boxes. Mm-hmm. Hardly ever happens. Are they almost always coming with uh, most of those? The the top ones? Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is where I think we're out, we are right now. Yeah. But it's really what you said. 
It's which one do you like? Mm-hmm. Which one fits your scheme? Which one do you feel like you could mold the most or the, the best, the easiest, the quickest? Well, it's like it's, you brought it, up Trubisky. Look at him with the Bears. Ryan Pace said, that's our guy, and he traded up to get him. Plenty, and he mm-hmm. traded plenty to yep. go get him. So I, I think it's it's definitely one of those where Sam Darnold, mm-hmm. do I think he's bad at all? No, no. not at all. He's going to be a good quarterback. But do I, I, I hopefully I, I gave my, my reasoning mm-hmm. for why I have him outside the top five at number six. It's, for me, the, the biggest one is probably where his confidence mm-hmm. is at. And the reason why Josh Allen is on mine right now in the spot that he's in is because his confidence right now is through the roof. He had an outstanding senior ball. Mm-hmm. He had an outstanding game. He was able to do that with working with NFL coaches and coaching staffs. Mm-hmm. He's in a good spot right now. Well, the guy I want to – let's move on away from the quarterbacks. And confidence is the thing I want to look at that this next guy, only because it looks like NFL – Scouts and NFL personnel people might not have the most confidence in Arden Key right now. I did not have Arden Key in my top 25. Spoiler alert, he's not in my top five. You have him at number nine. And before the podcast, you were telling me you had seen something on WalterFootball.com that NFL scouts are kind of weary of off-the-field issues with Arden Key. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things that came out. And this is... And both you and I, we've known mm-hmm. that you know he's had some injury issues in the past and everything like that with LSU, but I had never heard anything mm-hmm. of off-the-field issues. But I, I did read here that uh, Key's off-the-field issues are similar to Randy Gregory or Tim Williams, and that those there's concerns that because of that, mm-hmm. that could slide him down on draft boards mm-hmm. into late rounds. Because of the off-the-field issues. I don't know what those are, though. Yeah. I, I mean, I just now am hearing about this tonight, mm-hmm. and I, quite honestly, I mean, I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more, but if, if there's anyone who is a huge LSU fan, Arden Key fan, that you, you know exactly what they're talking about, please let us know. But I, Arden Key for me, though, and what I've said a lot of times is, is it enough? Is it enough to push him outside of someone's draft board? Mm-hmm. Is it enough to make a team that really wanted to go with them skip over him because they hear they are told about off the field issues? That's that's the question. Now, if he were falling to the Dallas Cowboys, they take him. They don't care. They'll take you with all the baggage you got, anything you got. They it does it does not bother them. But there could be a team out there that really likes him, that needs him at the position, and they will skip over him because they want to try and run an organization where you have stand-up guys, class act guys, everything like that. But Arden Key, here's the thing. A lot of people look at him as being a high first-round talent. I mean, he's a devastating pass rusher. He was mm-hmm. really, really good in, in college. He's a guy who could be even better in the NFL. But he can only do that if he's going to stay on the field. So yeah. you you don't want to um, you don't want to have a guy that you invest in and then isn't able to consistently be on the field for you because they have off the field problems. Well, and the thing that I look at, and I'm going to bring in a guy who was in my first segment in my 16 through 25. It's not going to help Arden Key that you see guys like. Marcus Davenport, who, yeah, he's from, I want to say just, oh, he's from University of Texas, San Antonio. 
UTSA, the Roadrunners, I believe. However, you look at Davenport, just like Allen in my situation, had a good senior bowl, got to A, work with coaching staff. So I believe he was on the South, so he got to work with the Texans coaching staff, I believe. But you work with NFL coaches, you impress scouts with that, impress scouts throughout the week. He was one of the guys that they listed as one of the biggest risers from the senior ball, and that's what I think is going to hurt Arden Key of, yeah, he's good, but are we going to want to waste a first, not waste, but are we going to want to use a first-round pick on him, knowing that he has the injury questions, he's got the -the off-the-field issues. I looked at an article just now as you were talking where, yeah, this was from before the season, but um, his father had talked about how he's looking for a rebirth um, through this year because of some of the -the off-the-field issues that he had. People thought he was going to quit on LSU before the season. And the thing that's going to help Arden Key the most throughout this process is the combine. It's going to be those interviews. I feel like because of this, if it's true with all the off the field stuff, if especially like you said, if it's in the same vein of Randy Gregory and Tim Williams, of there's two prospects then that need a phenomenal combine. Baker Mayfield and Arden Key, only because of the Baker Mayfield, because of the little off the field that he has, even though it's he transcends it on the field, and you just want to, with him, it's I just want to talk to you to make sure that I can forget about that stuff that happened. With Arden Key, it might sound like, hey, I need to talk to you to make sure that I can have you on my draft board, because if I can't have you on my draft board, that's going to be a problem and you're not going to be there. Absolutely, and it sounds like um, Arden Key Senior saying, "You know, let mm-hmm. the past be the past." You know, we had our we had our um, things that we we had our challenges, and we worked them out as a you know as a family, and mm-hmm. we're still working through them and everything. And um, he said that you know, kind of his son's issues evolved from his instant success, um, and it became uh, his life became unbalanced. So those types of things that worries it, me. It, well, it makes you it makes you want to. Think okay, is he going to be okay mm-hmm. when he gets into the real limelight? I mean, and he's this, now that's, getting a paycheck. That's college. That's yeah. college limelight, um, and you know, having the kind of celebrity status as a college athlete, mm-hmm. which is when you're especially, you know, on, on a no, I was going to say especially on a big stage mm-hmm. in, in one of the biggest conferences in the SEC. Yeah. That's a you know on a good, really good kind of high profile mm-hmm. LSU team. Can you handle it if you're on? An NFL team, any mm-hmm. NFL team, I don't care. Be on the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, you know, you can be on the 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 worst team, the best team. You're still on an NFL team, getting recognition. Mm-hmm. People in your in that city know you. People um, uh, nationally know you. It's it's a big deal. It is a big deal. And quite honestly, I'm I'm never going to have to deal with that. I'm never going to be playing mm-hmm. a a a major league sport. I I wouldn't I don't know if I'd want to I don't know if I'd want to deal with that because mm-hmm. just in talking with someone who I had used to used to work with and who had kind of uh, been in the pros for for a little bit with baseball and I know I'm getting a little bit off the subject but kind of staying on point mm-hmm. is he said it's it's a grind you he said only the obviously the top ones are making it 
For everybody else, it's a grind, it's a grind, it's a grind, mm-hmm. it's a grind. And for those top guys, they have no life. They're all living it in the limelight. Mm-hmm. They all have to do ev- everything they do, someone's in their business. Everything they do, someone knows about it. So for a young guy, and this goes for everyone coming out of the draft, that's that's why they have those sessions when they the, the new uh, draftees come mm-hmm. in and they have that session that talks about the transition to life in the NFL. With Herm. It used to be with Herm Edwards. It won't be with Herm anymore. And and how it goes and how, not necessarily how you're supposed to Mm -hmm. act, but how you're going to need to act. Well, and for me, hearing what you just said about um, Arden Key Sr., where it's one of those things where, hey, it's him adjusting to that. Right now, before talking to him, if I was an NFL scout or owner, I'd be like, well, I'm worried. We need to talk to him. But we I need to talk to him. But I do want to say that mm-hmm. I don't want to put that those uh, that comment out of context. Yeah, he did go on to say he's changed tremendously. He's had to get his priorities together. He sees life out of a different lens because he stepped away from well, football for a little bit. He's never been away from the game. By being away, he appreciates it even more. So that is important to I also would bring still up. Still be worried only because I would. Not I would it wouldn't be where all oh, I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt to talk to you. If I'm a team that's looking at Arden Key, then I would be like, you know what, we got to talk to this kid because I want to get that straightened out. Because the thing that's going to make it different at the NFL level is, yeah, you might have handled your shit here in college, but now in the NFL level, you're getting paid, you're getting a paycheck, and kind of relating it to outside stories that we've heard. How are you going to handle it then if – because there have been stories from pros, and this might be taken out of context a little bit, but I'm going to say it anyways. But there have been pros that are like, yeah, you know what? Uh, I become an NFL player. I get that paycheck. Then so-and-so, who I haven't talked to in five years, starts talking to me again. Or those family members start asking for – like, you get that – like, are you going to be able to deal with the pressures of being kind of like you said, a celebrity being – a pro football player, and I want to make sure that you're all in this because the thing with the draft and the thing with players, and I know that you don't want to think about it this way, but it kind of is, but to the owners, it's an investment. Like, I am investing a draft pick in you. I could draft millions of other guys. Not really millions, but you get the point. Bajillion. Bajillion other guys. That's a real number. Scientific number. Bajillion other guys besides you. Why should I pick you here? I'm investing in you if I'm picking here. And the thing with owners, the thing with these businessmen that are owning these teams, if I'm going to invest in something, I want return on my investment. And if I don't feel like I'm going to get that return on the investment because of, like, off the field or, in this case, the kind of, not confidence, but the dealing with being a star at LSU, which to me as an NFL owner is small potatoes compared to, I'm going to say, Jerry Jones. Compared to Jerry Jones, small potatoes. You're a Dallas Cowboy now. You are now America's, you're on America's team. LSU is small potatoes to me. But let's move on into Raekwon Smith. And the thing I want to ask you about Raekwon Smith, you had him at 13, got him all the way up at six. This is a kid, Brandon, that immediately after we did our big board, we did it beginning of December. As soon as those playoff games happened, the national championship, even though they lost, 
I looked at you, I believe. I know I told this to Mark. I said, yeah, Roquan going to be climbing. He's going to be climbing. I think I said it during the national championship game of, I'm like, Roquan's going to climb. Rashawn Evans is going to climb. Jerome Payne going to climb. That's what I said. And Roquan Smith on mine climbed the most as he was six. Where did I have him on my big board? One. I had him at 17 on my first big board. Now he's at six. What did you see from Roquan Smith that made him climb all the way up to 13? Well, for me, it's just uh, he was one of those guys that really came on strong in the second half of the game against Oklahoma um, when they when they played each other. Pardon me, you yes. actually had him fall two spots. You had him at 11 in the 1.0, and you have him at 13 now. However, you've got you've got guys like Josh Allen who jumped above him, which could have knocked him down a little bit. And a couple of jumpers. Yeah. Um, but, no, I still I still like Roquan Smith. I thought that he was one of those guys who came on really strong in the second half of that mm-hmm. game against Oklahoma, was a really big force in yeah. the second half of that game against Oklahoma. Especially that game. The way he's able to get off the ball, I, I think just his 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 speed is his, his athleticism his strength he's one of those guys who you do not want him coming at you uh, I, I I like what he's able to do I like what he's done throughout his seasons at Georgia he's been one of their best if not their best playmaker defensively he's been he's been great mm-hmm I, I, I want to know I want to know more because you did have him jump all yeah. the way. So what was it that that you saw in him that made you jump him all the way to six? My first thing is his point of attack. Like he is a guy that is is great against the run. His instincts overall of being able to know where the ball is and take the best best path to it. Hits like a mad truck. He's quick. He can kind of. Like I said, his instincts knows where to put him. My favorite thing about him, though, is no matter what scheme I'm running at the NFL level, he fits into it. Whether I'm running a 4-3 or a 3-4, I don't have to worry about, oh, does he fit my scheme? He fits my scheme. And that's the most important thing. And, like, he's the guy that I feel could be, yeah, people could say, oh, he's undersized, that, I mean— he could have issues getting off the blocks at the NFL level. But the thing that I think is most important here is what's going on right here. And Roquan Smith has what's going on in here because he's able to anticipate and read what's going on in front of him with the offenses that he was seeing. Kind of almost like um, a little bit of what I'm thinking is kind of like what we could see with like Ray Lewis or Brian Urlacher. And I know you're saying Ricky Hall of Fame linebackers are thrown out here. I can say that now because they're going to be in the Hall of Fame. But even though it might not be out loud in here, I feel like he could be a guy that kind of does the pre-reads before the snap to know how to attack and how to get to the ball to either stop the running back or get to the quarterback. Well, I think one of the biggest things and one of the biggest things that, that you just brought up um, and, and one of your points there is that he's not just good in defending the run. Mm-hmm. He can also defend and be solid in pass coverage yep. as well. Mm-hmm. That's what's going to make him even better. That's what's going to make him kind of that all-around defensive presence. He's got great ball skills, too. Because, you know, there are some guys, and I truly I can't think of any mm-hmm. right now specifically, but there's some guys who, man, you run at them, you're, you're not getting any yards. 
but you go and you you play in the pass and they 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 can't do anything against mm-hmm. you. So having a guy who has that 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 dual threat, he's going to be active in the in the um running game in terms of defense he's going to be active in the passing game in terms of defense pass protection run protection he's going to be around and he's going to be in your face you're going to be hearing his name on Mm -hmm. tackles and on plays that's the kind of guy you want defensively on your team leading your team on defense and the guy that i think that he could be like the most out of the two that i just mentioned was now don't take this as an exact carbon copy but I feel like he could be almost like a Brian Urlacher-esque player to a team because I know the height and size undersized. Like Brian Urlacher was 6'4", and he's 258 pounds in his playing days, where you've got Raekwon 6'1", 255. But when I think of Brian Urlacher, not only could he make the the pre-snap reads where – it was almost like a chess match out there. It's like, except for the Super Bowl, it paid Manning. Quarterback says one thing, you, Brian Urlacher's pointing. He's putting people into situations. He knows what to do. But he was also a guy that run the ball at him, he's going to stop you. Except when you're Tom Brady and you juke him out of your shoes. Or if you pass, he's going to deflect it, make a catch. And he was quick to be able to pick up balls. That is someone that I could kind of see... Roquan being like at the next level for a team, although he might not be the exact same height or the exact same size, brings the same things to the table that a Brian Urlacher did out in New Mexico. Yeah, I think that those when you compare a guy to a Brian Urlacher, you're de- Hall of Famer. You're, you're, <laughs> you're you're definitely comparing him with the guy who had some mm-hmm. tremendous skills. A guy who and I won't say single-handedly because it wasn't single-handedly, but without him, the Bears' defense is not what the defense is. It's not or, the monsters well, of the me, midway. It was. It's not the monsters of the midway no, without it's, him. No, it, it's not mm-hmm. because he was the heart and soul of that defense mm-hmm. for a number of years. A number of years. That's why he's going into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Without him, without his skills, without his tenacity, without his aggressive play, the Bears are not. I feel like they haven't been good in a while, but the Bears are not good during those years. Mm -hmm. The Bears aren't competitive during those years. It's it's so crazy how how sometimes one guy completely Mm -hmm. changes the dynamic of a team or of a unit. It's it really is. Would they still have been okay? They still would have been okay. But you take away Brian Urlacher, and you're taking away heart and soul. It's hard to replace heart and soul. Mm-hmm. And if Roquan Smith can come in and not only be a guy who has the physical skills and play, but also has the mental capacity, the mental tenacity, and the heart and soul to bring to a defense, watch out. Yeah, and I mean, before I bring up the very last person, there's like, there's teams that I'm thinking about, and especially at that top, obviously the top five are not going to take them, but the one team that I kind of look at is I was thinking about could you imagine him on the Jets bringing that Jets defense back to what it was bringing that Buccaneers defense back what it was and the guy who could use the team that could use him the most John Gruden in Oakland if he's there at six why not take a Roquan Smith and sure up that defense to help out uh, 
Derek Carr because you're going to need to help him when you're going to Vegas in a year. The last guy I want to bring up, though, and this will end the segment before we go into the top five. This is a guy I just wanted to mention because I really liked him from the film I saw, especially from the film of him against Josh Rosen because that was one of the top quarterbacks that he was going up against this year. And that's Vita Vea, one of the huge jumpers in my big board. Wasn't on last time. He's at number 10 this time. This is a guy who, he's a big guy, a big guy on that defensive line. And the thing I like most about him is for UCLA, I'm going to use that game for example, for them to stop him consistently, they needed two guys on him. They needed to double team him every time. This is a guy that even if he's not able to punch through the line every time and get to the quarterback like he did against Josh Rosen at least once in that game, he could be a guy where it's like, all right, we got to put two on him, or okay, we got to put a, um, we got to bring in a tight end because we're putting two guys on um, Vita Vea to make sure he doesn't get there. Could a guy that's just a big defensive tackle be a top 10 pick in the NFL draft? That's what I want to ask you. Only because you didn't have him in your big board, I did. So just on the draft side, could you see a big defensive tackle like Avita Vea being a top 10 pick in the NFL draft? No. No. Top 10, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. When I look over here and I look at you've got one, two, three, four, five, six. I know. I mean, I just I don't see where he fits mm-hmm. in the top 10. I know that this is my own big board, yeah. which people will disagree and agree with certain spots. And and, uh, you know, it's everyone has their own thoughts and everything on it. And it really comes down to the team. But where it it looks to to me. Right now, I don't think so. Could he be a a first round pick at somewhere? Possibly. But he'd probably be more of a second round or third round. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is one where my big board, you guys will see, my big board and my mock draft are not going to line up. Because if there's no teams, and I'm just saying pick, 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 Vita Vea, I love him as a top 10 guy, a fringe top 10. I have him in the top 10, but. I could easily, on a given day, put Denzel Ward there. I could put Orlando Brown there. I could put Derwin James there. They're just that close. But I think that he'll end up, mock draft-wise, being a teens guy. He was just one guy I wanted to bring up because he was one in my personal big board. The biggest jump virtually on my big board, going from unranked, basically, to top 10 and being at number 10. But any final thoughts that you want to bring up between anyone that you had in this range in your big board? No, I think we're good. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below on any of the guys we talked about for 6 through 15 and let us know who you guys would have through 6 through 15 on your own personal big board. But Brandon, let's finish out the podcast talking about our top five Let's get into it. Who are your top five for your big board 2.0? At number five, I've got Josh Rosen, quarterback UCLA. At four, Minka Fitzpatrick, defensive back Alabama. 
At three, Josh Allen, quarterback, Wyoming. At two, Bradley Chubb, defensive end, NC State. And at number one, the guaranteed number one overall pick, Saquon Barkley, running back, Penn State. I'm going to be completely honest with you guys. I made an executive change to mind while we were recording the middle segment of this podcast, where originally I had Darnold above Rosen. I switched it. So my top five, number five, Minka Fitzpatrick, defensive back, Alabama. Then at number four, Sam Darnold, QB, USC. Number three, Josh Rosen, QB, UCLA. Number two, defensive end from NC State, Bradley Chubb. And then number one, the running back from Penn State. He's been the number one since number one. He is now the number one and number two, Saquon Barkley, Penn State Nittany Lions. I helped you change. I I, I, I think me talking about it changed your mind you know, to, to move Darnold it underneath. Was, so it it was the deciding factor, but it wasn't all you. because I know, but I, it, told I was you, part of it, I know. I told you before the big board, like I told you before I even came up my big board, that you know what, I'm watching the film for the guys, and I'm like, I'm probably going to put Rosen above Darnold. Then when I was thinking about it, when I did it, I'm like, you know what? I know that I know that Darnold, the mechanics aren't there. Rosen has the mechanics. The ball security is not there for because really between the two, here's what it is. Darnold's accurate pocket passer mobility instincts. There, I got that. I said that in the last segment. Yeah, mechanics and ball security. But with Josh Rosen, it's yeah, he's got a great spiral. He can see the field well. He's got an accurate arm, or yeah, an accurate arm. He's an arm talent. But the big thing for me is personality, leadership, and durability are my three weaknesses with him. And although I think Darnold will be a better pro long game, Josh Rosen is the better prospect coming out of college. So at first, when I put it down, I said I don't care about coming out now. How are they going to end? And through the last segment talking about Darnold and stuff, I had changed it last second, and that's why I put Rosen above Darnold because technically right now he is better than Darnold. However, when they're done with their careers, Darnold could be better with Rosen. But the first guy I wanted to ask you about was the guy that I thought I was going to pull a fast one on you. Didn't think you'd have him here. But both of us going Bradley Chubb, pass rusher, the defensive end, out of NC State, number two, what went through your mind to put that as your number two prospect in your big board? Well, one, his stats from 2017, 73 tackles, 25 for a loss, 10 sacks, three forced fumbles, mm-hmm. and two passes batted. The guy is an elite talent. Great speed to get around the tackles. Power to shed blocks. Great in one-on-ones. But also is able to be double teams. Mm -hmm. When you have a guy with those types of skills who's able to record those types of stats, Mm -hmm. they go together like this. It's like, wow, what a playmaker. Like a glove. It just fits like a glove. Absolutely. And this is a guy who, again, any team would love this Mm -hmm. on defense. It's it's very similar to a Roquan Smith. Very similar. In terms of a defense would love to get him in that position. But I love the fact that the speed that he's got, the toughness that he has, the intangibles that Chubb has, 
just what what he's able to force when he's on the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, he can make a play at any moment. It's whether it's a big sack, whether it's forcing a fumble, whether it's batting a pass. The guy is special, and he's going to be special. Well, and one of the reasons, because last big board, you had him at five, so you have a three-position jump. I only had a two. I basically had him jump the quarterbacks is what he did. And I think the reason why I did was after watching some of the film, because of after diving into film and kind of dissecting guys, when you've got guys like Darnold Rosen and even Josh Allen I'll throw in there, guys that have all have their own individual question marks. Like I said for Darnold and Rosen, because who we're talking about now, but Allen's and yourself throw him in. It's all right, Darnold's mechanics are a question, but Rosen's leadership is a question, but then Josh Allen's decision making is a question. So it kind of goes back to what I said in the last one. It just depends on which question mark is right for you and which one you think you can change. Well, with Bradley Chubb, I don't see much of a question when it comes to him. And it's almost like I thought in my head, all right, the two guys I had above him have bigger questions now with me and might not be even like a Josh Rosen, who is, like I said, all more ready coming out. He's not a finished product by any means. Maybe Bradley Chubb should be number two, and that's why I put him there because the thing you have to think about is the NFL is a pass-happy league, and Bradley Chubb, like you said, fits right in. It's a square peg in a square hole. It's a circle peg in a circle hole. It fits like a glove, like a light socket that you're just putting in when, boom, and the Christmas lights come on for that first time. That's what this is like. And although do I think he's going to be the number one pick, our number two pick? No, because either the Browns or the Giants or both of them will go quarterback, but one of them will probably take Saquon Barkley. I think that Bradley Chubb is a guy. I think he is destined, unless something bizarre happens, I think he's destined to have an Indianapolis Colts jersey on his body during his career to start. I think that's where he's going to go, and it'd be a good fit because they need pass rush help, but I think he's going to be a guy that I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants, who are at number two, who might not need quarterback, think about taking him at number two instead of one of the quarterbacks, um, either Rosen, Darnold, or Allen, who you had in your top five as well. Another one of the things with Bradley Chubb is the way that he plays the game, mm-hmm. the passion that he brings. Okay. And it's one of those things that without him, they don't knock off Florida State. Mm-hmm. They don't beat Louisville. With him, they do. And they did. Mm-hmm. And it's it's with having him out there on the field, not just, again, it's it's one of those things where it's the, the intangible sometimes with some of these guys is that you know what they've got. I mean, you know what they've got. You know the the skills that they have and everything like that. It's the intangibles. You can't teach passion. You cannot teach passion. You have to have it. And that's one of the other things where you look at a guy like Bradley Chubb mm-hmm. and you look at his skills and you look at the passion that he plays the game with, his love for the game of football and the love that he will have for the game on any team that he ends up with. Mm-hmm. The way that he'll play and the way that I don't I don't necessarily want to say like he's the Saquon Barkley on defense, but the way that Saquon Barkley is going to make any team better offensively, Bradley Chubb will make 
any team better defensively because of how he plays the game with his skills, how he plays the game with the passion. Well, and one of the last things I want to say be on Bradley Chubb before we move into, I'm going to bring up Minka Fitzpatrick next to move into is basically the one in, one main improvement I have for Bradley Chubb is that right now his rip move is amazing. However, can he develop a different move? Can he get a spin move going? Can he get a club move? And that's going to be beneficial at the next level. The more moves you have to try to beat guys on the edge will only benefit you. If you're a one-trick pony, guys are going to, through film, the more film there is on you, figure you out and then know, oh, he's a one-trick pony. This is what I got to do to limit him. Because just like we say for the offensive side that, oh, the guys on the defense are bigger, faster, stronger. Well, guess what? The linemen you're going up against in the NFL are bigger, faster, stronger as well. And some of them that have been around a while know how to do things really, really well. So that's the one thing that I would say would be a benefit or a thing that he would need to work on at the next level. Before I bring up Minka Fitzpatrick, any last things you want to talk about with Bradley Chubb? Just I'm I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. I and I I you hear, think you hear that Bradley Brandon's a huge fan. Why don't you come on the podcast? That's, <laughs> that's what that means. So Bradley I, Chubb, if you're watching, I I think again you you said that he you don't think that he would go number two mm-hmm. unless I, I, I understand I understand again that it's you know it's the Giants and you know they supposedly mm-hmm. all, all their money has been put into the defense. Mm-hmm. They still need so much help. Yeah, and I mean unless there's a surprise, I think a quarterback is either going to go one or two. I don't think that we go two non-quarterbacks because other than that, we're not seeing a quarterback until four. I don't think that happens. I want to look at Minka Fitzpatrick, though, because he's a guy that in the 1.0, I had it one, you had it four. Guess what? I have it five, you have it four. Neither of us had him move. What's your thoughts about Minka Coming into the second big board here, you having them at four out of five. Uh, probably the same comments that I had about Mika Fitzpatrick the first time. Mm-hmm. I love the way that he moves around the field. I love the way that he attacks the football. Uh, you know, he's he's one of those spark plugs on Alabama's defense, uh, and he's 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 a smart football player. He's a smart football player. I still remember when it was it was actually this season where there were a couple of games where a lot of people for Alabama's mm-hmm. defense were banged up, but Minka Fitzpatrick was one of those guys that had gotten banged up, and you could just feel the difference with him not being out there. That there there wasn't as much energy mm-hmm. on the defensive side of things. So. Again, if you know, if for nothing, nothing else outside of his, or I shouldn't say that. I actually take back the way that I was setting that up is that you you put aside his skills that he already has, the energy, again, the passion. Again, talking about you know Bradley Chubb. This is another guy, Minka Fitzpatrick. He's one of those spark plug kind of guys that, with the way that he plays, the quickness that he has, mm-hmm. the ball hawk type of um, moves that he has. That's what's going to be very attractive for a team that wants to take a Minka Fitzpatrick. Well, and the thing I like most about him is he could be a defensive back that can either play the run or could play the pass. And he's a guy that has the ball skills to have interceptions. I know this past year he only had one in 13 games, but look back to 2016, he had six total touchdowns 
two of them going back for touchdowns. And in 2015, as a freshman, he had two INTs that both of them went back for touchdowns. So he's a guy, nine total interceptions for four touchdowns in his three years in college. But also, he's a guy that I know on the draft profiles, it says, like, oh, he's a dangerous blitzer. Only had five sacks but 16 and a half tackles for loss. And that's the thing that's been growing each and every year with Minka, where you have three tackles for loss as a freshman, five and a half as a um, sophomore, eight tackles for loss this season as a part of the Alabama Crimson Tide. And that's the thing I look at with him. He could be a guy that, hey, as a defensive back, I'm going to come up, play the run or play the just blitz game or you can drop me back into coverage and I have the ball skills to make interceptions and the speed to turn them into six if I'm in the right situation. Yeah, I think you're right. And uh, again, it's it's one of those where you look at Fitzpatrick and he he's a playmaker. He's mm-hmm. one of those guys that he, he comes in and boom, he's there. Mm-hmm. He's He's in on every play. That's the type of guy that you want. He's always, always going towards the ball, mm-hmm. always hawking towards the ball. And that's, you know, the, having a guy like that is going to bring you uh, a whole lot of good things defensively. But like you said, is it's like his his stats seem to get better kind of each and every time. You know, if it's, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more. Uh, so that's, a you know, that's another good thing. Honestly, I don't really have anything else to say about Mika Fitzpatrick. I think I said it all in the first time. Well, and the thing that I'm looking at is... One of the things, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is me just kind of spitballing here off the top of my head, is the kind of guy I could see him being at the next level depending on what team gets him and where he's used is I know he's a little bit taller, about two inches, three inches taller than this player I'm going to say, but he's a little bit skinnier, about 10 pounds lighter than this player could he be at the next level kind of almost a Troy Palomalu type of player where defensive back who I'm either at the line, I'm either back. It's kind of like I'm all over the field. You don't know where I'm going to be. I'm not saying the same exact player like Palomalu, uh, as I almost called him. Sure. Palomalu, who he was the one where it's like jumping it perfectly to jump over the line. I'm not saying it's going to be exactly like that, but hey, I'm going to be – a maybe a safety where I'm coming up and being at the line to come in and blitz to stop the run, or I'm dropping back in pass coverage to help out there as well. Yeah, that's one of the good things with him, and, and how it's actually was described in one of the articles is that Fitzpatrick is a queen on the chessboard type of hmm. defensive back. That's a really a interesting. Queen on the that's a really interesting way he to can describe move anywhere. him. Can move anywhere. Has just that free mm-hmm. reign. Can come up like you said in in, in a run. Uh, a situation and can drop back in that mm-hmm. pass situation. It really just depends on what the offense is doing. That's yeah. a, I, I really kind of like that. Queen on the chessboard type of defensive back. That's interesting. Last guy I want to bring up. We've talked about the quarterbacks enough. Last guy, the guy who you talked about the queen on the field, he's the king of our big board, the number one spot holder, two big boards in a row. Saquon Barkley, and I know we've talked about it enough. I'm going to pitch that me and you talked about it. I think it was last week on the podcast. Could he be the number one overall pick? Here's the thing I want to ask you, and this is kind of a little speculation from you. Do you see at all during our times doing big boards? We've got, what, about 
two or three more of these to go, I believe. Look into your crystal ball. Do you think we will see a time during this draft season where Saquon is not the number one on the big board? No. Why? No, because he's too good. He's got so, he's, <laughs> he's got, too good. He's he's got he's got so many skills. I've been saying this. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and every everyone's been saying this. He's too good. He's got so many skills. He's such a weapon. And we got two he, more big boards. He, he makes any team instantly better. I, I, again, I, I feel like I'm a broken record when I'm saying he can run the football. Mm-hmm. He's a shifty, quick, good cut runner. He is a great receiver as a as a running back. Is a as as in terms of great receiver as a running back goes, he is. He's can be a punt returner. He could be a kick returner. And mm-hmm. he's that got that just break away and can take it to the house any time type of he, he's he's just that that type of playmaker. Anytime he touches the football, it could be a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And he's like the 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 much better version. Of, you almost said the more better version, didn't you? I wasn't sure what how I wanted to say it, but he's the much better <laughs> version of who's the kid who plays for the Panthers. You're talking about Christian McCaffrey? Yes. The much better version than Christian McCaffrey. He is. No, and that's exactly like Saquon Barkley. If my team doesn't need a quarterback like Cleveland does number one. I would definitely take Saquon number one. Now, that's the only question that makes it could he be number one is if you're Cleveland, do you go with a quarterback? Because no, 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 no. We're not getting into that conversation again. I'm just saying, like, you, I know. You I just needed to, event- to say it because Cleveland, and maybe if I say it enough, Cleveland will figure <laughs> you gotta it out. Eventually, that don't go with the like, quarterback sooner first. Sooner or later, you got to hit. And that's the big thing of eventually you got to keep drafting them to hit them. But that's the big thing. And you could check out our conversation on that. Up above Brandon's head, I believe I will try to put that to pop above Brandon so you guys can click on it and go to that discussion. But before we close up shop here, any final thoughts on any of the guys in the top five? Quarterbacks, I feel like we've talked enough. Really, the only one we haven't given a huge limelight to is Josh Rosen. That's okay. He's fine. He's the only one. But like when I was watching him, great arm talent, and it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a team takes him because he looked exactly like Matt Ryan to me in his film. Yeah. Size, body, I think he's like a little bit lighter than Matt Ryan, but I'm like, well, he looks like Matt Ryan. And then I looked at Matt Ryan's film and I went, yeah, he's Matt Ryan. He's pretty much Matt Ryan. Put him on a team like the Falcons and you'll be fine. But any final well, I, thoughts? My, my final thoughts, I, I thought this was fun. I thought it this was. was fun. I thought I it was doing big you know, it, it's It's always fun going through and seeing who... Mm-hmm. Who changes? Who moves up? Who moves down? Who moves out? Who moves in? I think it's 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 really interesting to look at, especially since mm-hmm. we're still in the early stages. Yes, and how we still have a couple more to go. Well, the thing I do want to bring up is our next big board for the NFL. Kind of a little housekeeping here at the end to kind of keep you guys up to date with stuff. The NFL Combine this year is February twenty seventh. Through March 5th is the last day. Our next NFL big board, we will be recording that that week, March 5th. It's a big week for us. Guess what else we have to do that week? Guess what other big board we have to do that week? Because it's the end of the regular season in college basketball. NBA. We got two big boards. We got to figure out how we're going to record those. But we got 
a double dose it's there with the combine and the regular season and basketball ending. For the onside kick, next mock draft for football is coming up. It's, what, a week, two weeks? The 13th, we're going to record it. Valentine's Day, the first day that those will come out. Draft season is upon us, and I am happier than a pig in slop because this is my favorite time (laughs) of the year. But I want to thank you guys for checking it out. The Real Housekeeping, though, if you liked what we're doing here on the podcast, make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. That information, that link is in the description down below. If you want an MVP t-shirt, we are selling those. That information is in the description as well. Make sure to bookmark most valuable podcast. That's where you're going to find everything that we're doing on the channel. And last but not least, if you're on iTunes, have an iTunes account, make sure to go and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. want to thank you guys for listening to the podcast around the world on any podcast service you listen to. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.